Hello everyone, this is Brandon Ellis with Industrial Automation Doesn't Have To. And today, we've been building upon topics that started with labor shortages. We talked about automation solutions to overcome those shortages, even got into an alternate viewpoint of the ROI calculation post-COVID. But today we're gonna to be talking about some new ways to generate money, real money, while saving the earth. So join us. Hello everybody and welcome to Industrial Automation It Doesn't Have To. In case you're new, I'm Brandon Ellison. I'm your host and also the owner of Elatech. As we jump into today's episode, I just want to ask you to hit that follow button and subscribe button, depending on the platform that you're listening on. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy what you hear today, please go to the show page, scroll to the bottom, and leave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started with today's episode. Hey, everybody, welcome back, and hello to our producer, our marketing manager, the one and the only, Miss Beth Elliott. Hey, Beth. Hey, Brandon. How are you doing today? Doing great. It's uh, a Friday, as you you pointed (laughs) out in the past, so we're just taking her easy, kind of letting the week roll down, looking forward to a good, warm July weekend. It will be toasty. You got any plans this weekend? I think I'm going to have to actually break down and work. In the yard. <laughs> so, You're going to have to mow the hay. <laughs> that's right. Um, been been holding out for a cool July day, and it just hasn't happened. I wonder when that would happen, yeah. That's well, right. Sunday might be ch- uh, cool. I don't know. Right. That's true. <laughs> um, actually, this is the time of year for me uh, that we're actually, we heat with wood. This, uh, this time winter. of year? Yes. And so oh, we, you've got to get prepared. I've got to prepare. Mm-hmm. And so we actually had a neighbor who is doing some clearing of some land, and they have some uh, some trees that had to be taken down, and they're oak trees. And so oh, nice. um, I volunteered for myself and the help of my beautiful wife to, we're going to go grab those those logs and get them up to our, to our property. And then it'll be chainsaws and... Splitting. Chopping. Yeah, stacking. <laughs> yes, it's some good uh, physical exercise. <laughs> yeah, if the heat doesn't get us. <laughs> so maybe I'll set up a slip and slide and we'll take a slide in, in between each log. But uh, yeah, we, we have to get that ready. So it'll be seasoning now for not this winter, but the next winter. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, uh, kind of an interesting segue in today's topic because some would say heating with wood as an alternative to electric heat is green. I I think so. Yeah. So um, for us, it's less expensive. It is, yeah. But it is a lot of work. So why don't you walk us into today's topic? All right. So today we're talking about green initiatives, also known as green manufacturing, and how your manufacturing facility can benefit from sustainable efforts. So today's title is Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to be wasteful. Wasteful. That's right. And so waste means a lot of different things, but specifically green initiative. Now, we've talked in past podcasts how this was a certainly a topic about a decade or a decade and a half ago, I recall, and we were pushing then, and, and we, we've seen uh, your wonderful post on LinkedIn where it's, you know, the, the, t- the title on the, the graphic is anti-air, and so replacing things like replacing pneumatics and things of that nature. So we want to walk through some of those things, but that's a green initiative, but it's also a money-saving initiative. So let me just quickly give my 
two cents on green initiative. So there's no it's no secret. There's there's back and forth, ebb and flow, yin and yang on global warning warming and, and its effects, long term, short term, and things of that nature. You know, we're really not getting into that portion of it. What we're saying though is changes made today on the whole, will benefit generations to come, mm-hmm. the next generation and generations after that. And so uh, that's always a good thing. Yes. Uh, but also, what are the benefits that we can can see in the short term, the near term? Now, here's the thing. If you're Googling this, and I know my nieces and nephews will Google and fact check their uncle quite a lot, um, Green Initiative is, is a big deal. But this isn't about there, – there's plenty of companies out there that can claim green initiatives and they're really just investing in a solar solar farm or wind farm or something like that somewhere else and they're still pumping out all the stuff. We're not talking about that. That That's a bit of a controversial green uh, initiative. Oh, the climate credits. Yes, with climate credits and things of that nature, which basically, uh, if we're being totally honest, is we're going to pay somebody money so that they look the other way while we – pollute the earth. And so that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about ways of doing that. But what we are talking about is ways that manufacturers in industrial automation can do those things that are green, mm-hmm. have a green initiative as far as energy savings and, and reduced landfill village, um, but also uh, save money. Yes. Uh, in the in the short so short term benefits with the long term green benefits that come to help the generations to come, such as my nieces and nephews. <laughs> well, I think it's a no brainer. It absolutely <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. So so walk us through. Um, I want you to walk us through some of just the the general definitions. You're the, you're the the researcher, the Wikipedia of green manufacturing. <laughs> well, this it's just a overview of it. So green manufacturing, and you know why would why should you care? You know, even love Mother Earth, but why should you care? It's a value mm-hmm. that you can get your business behind, but also buyers from larger businesses want sustainable products mm-hmm. and and services and partners. They want to partner with those folks. And buyers are also looking to source locally so uh, to reduce the transportation costs. Well, not just transportation costs, but the transportation effects on the environment. Yes, yes, it um, saves. It, it does save. So, so again, there's the money side of it, but there's also the green side of it. And then, like you said, it, it is a bit of a purpose-driven value for companies to get behind. I, I think employees today, I think in the United States, certainly as a whole, but if you look outside of the United States into other countries now now in in Asia specifically uh, my familiarity with Japan and and also in Korea uh, South Korea there are there have been long time initiatives to uh, do things that are more green green initiatives it's just in, it's more in the fabric I think uh, I don't want to detract from us here in the U S but I think it's more in the Woven fabric within their, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, of their normal thinking than it has been in the United States in the past. And and I think, honestly, with, with the younger generation and younger being 40 and below, 30 and below for sure, that it, it's it's more woven into their, into their, their culture yes. mm-hmm. uh, than it perhaps was with my generation and certainly with my father's generation, grandfather's generation. They had plenty of things to worry about. Uh, it was it was something they were aware of. I remember conversations with even my grandfather talking about things, you know, that we got to watch out about this, watch out about that, especially when it came to pollutants and things yeah. of that nature. But, you know, they were dealing in their 
when they were my age. Oh, they had lot, other things to deal with. A lot with. of other things to deal with. And so, uh, you know, we've, they've gotten us to where we are today. And, and now we want to take that and, and leave it in a better place than we found it. And so, and, and me personally, I feel like that's biblical as well for us to do. And so, um, so what are some of the benefits of the green initiatives in manufacturing? In manufacturing? Well, tax credits. Tax credits. Yes. yes. So, so it's always good when the government gives you something absolutely. back. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm tired of giving them the, all my money. <laughs> That's right. Well, in this year, 2021, there's been all kinds, and that's all I'll say, there's been all kinds of media attention on the term tax credits. So let's just be done with that. <laughs> yeah, um, but they can. you can get investment, you know, if you invest in solar farms and wind, wind or farms, yeah. geothermal heating, you know, it'll pay off in the long run. You know, as one of the other things, of course, reduced costs is more energy efficient things. So geothermal heating, for example, is more energy efficient. It costs a lot to begin with. We looked at yeah. that for our house. Oh, it's a big investment. Oh, goodness. You should consider heating with wood. Well, we did. We we were. Oh, yeah? For years. Pan- oh, you did. I mean, you oh, did, absolutely. Did. Oh, yeah. Now, now, I will say this. My father, I, I learned this from my father and mother growing up because my job was to keep the wood box full. Yes. And uh, and when I my older brother, of course, left, went to college and then flew the nest for real. And, and then I went to college and, and went out on my own. And But I and my brother were always the, the wood splitters and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And then after after I was gone, my dad finally bought a log splitter <laughs> <laughs> and all this easy stuff. And so he's like, well, you expect me to do this. Dude. Uh, but um, but nevertheless, uh, it is a lot of work. But uh, but we here, I know here at, at Elotech and a lot of our customers we've seen doing this is kind of no-brainer stuff. So energy-efficient lighting, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So lighting is important in the important in the manufacturing world for a couple of reasons. Number one, you need to see absolutely, uh, and especially if you're doing in, intricate type of, of assembly or inspections and things of that nature, it's in it's really comes down to more of an ergonomic thing if the lighting is poor because it can put eye and create eye strain and things mm-hmm. of that nature it can cause trouble that way and and also you miss miss inspections and and quality issues and things of that nature, so. There was a time when we put really bright HID high intensity discharge type lights in every warehouse and and uh, just really pound in the light. Well, that's not energy efficient. It's bright, but it's not necessarily efficient. So the LED the LED lighting and and I'll just tell you we we did LED through a lot of our facility in certain places and it cost a lot mm-hmm. compared to a fluorescent tube or, or it lasts HID. longer though doesn't it? it it does so you have to look at that so there the roi but the roi is stretched out <laughs> you're um, not going to realize that in less than a year <laughs> but what you can do so so there's there as far as investment what you are also benefiting with is you can also for the for the same or really less wattage or less energy cost you're getting more light than you were with the fluorescent. So LED technology has gotten really bright. I don't know if you've seen an LED flashlight nowadays, but you can buy some of those little bitty flashlights that will absolutely blind you. Uh, And it's running off a little battery, you know. So so that's the LED, this ultra-bright LED technology. And so then with the lenses and stuff like that. But the other thing is some real, what I call fancy, fancy lighting. Yeah. And so uh, our, our light guides, which is really a fancy skylight. And so we had those in our facility, in our, in our shop portion of, of our facility. I think we got four or five of them. Mm-hmm. We have a drop ceiling in our facility, but the uh, it's, it sits beneath a clear span building. And so we've got to be able to get the sunshine in for these 
you would you know it's not open to the top so we've got to funnel in or pump in the sunshine as mm-hmm. they say and so a light guide is a mirrored type tube that we we have a bubble type like a dome on installed on the top we have uh-huh. multiple domes for each one and then it kind of guides that light that's why we call it a light guide down to a part of the drop ceiling. Well, then that ceiling then is a is a type of lens. In our case, it's for newly top lens, and so it magnifies it even more. And honestly, during the day, we could have the lights off. Now, not for tedious work, but we could have lights off, and you're not going to trip over anything. You know, I've, as long as the sun's out. As long as the yeah. sun's out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and you can also tell when a when a cloud goes oh, yeah. in front of the sun because it gets darker inside. Uh, because I've been in, especially on the weekends and stuff, been in the warehouse area where I just stopped in and was doing something, and realized I didn't turn the light on. Because well, oh, it's so bright. Because, you know, see, I can see perfectly well. And so those types of things, certainly uh, that's energy savings mm-hmm. as far as not having to have as many lights or, or or you can put work lights at the point where where you need them. And then plants are doing that kind of stuff. There also, we talked about in a previous podcast about audits, energy audits. We didn't mention water the last time. Right. So we talked about electric, but we you can also do that with water. Mm-hmm. And that's that really falls under your general utilities. But these utilities will do these audits because guess what? It saves them. It saves them money because they have to meet the demand. Mm-hmm. And if the demand's not, if they're not able to meet it, then they're expected to meet it because you're paying them for a service. And so as a utility supplier, they're expected to perform up to a certain level. And so you could file a grievance if you turned on your water and there was no water pressure. If you're in manufacturing and you rely upon water in your process and there's no water pressure, then that is a really bad thing. Or, of course, if you turn on the light switch and the light doesn't come on or the machine doesn't power. So they want to work with companies to to really, it's a chance for them to tune in their system, so to speak, tune their capacities and set their systems up so that they can always meet your, because they don't want to over capacitize the system either. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to put it because that's cost. Balance. Yeah. So it's, it's basically like if you put in a, I don't know, let's, let's just use water as an example. Maybe you put in a, an eight inch main water line. It's a pretty small water line. That's a small water line. And so all of a sudden your plant does a big expansion and, and they're like, we don't have you know the, the pressure that we need. We don't have the flow that we need. Well, so does that mean you go in and put like a, you know, a 48-inch viaduct into the plant? No, that's now you've got this huge expense and, and maybe they only needed to jump up to a 12 or 14-inch line, you know, that kind of thing. So this helps them gauge what they need to do to supply and not overspend, but not, you know, be able to, to you know, not find themselves in a capacity issue again. And that's beneficial to the plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in doing that, they will give credits in that way. They'll, they'll do this for free, find these cost savings, but they also will give credits. There's credit programs right now, even for residential, for doing solar if you add solar to yeah. your system and things of that nature, because the solar systems actually uh, and wind as well, uh, but the, and even the like you said the geothermal and that kind of thing, you can get credits from your utility because in some cases it's, you're actually creating energy that's put back on what we call put, putting it back on the line, which is regenerating back to them, and so they refer to that as buying that energy back. But what it really means to you is less dollar bills, less pennies on your exactly. bill, right? So <laughs> that's real money. Absence of spending is creation of money. That's right. Say that again so that 
kind of goes through the head. Yeah. <laughs> Absence of spending is generation of money. And so that's really where this, I think, this green initiative can, you know, be a... You a big know, benefit. Yeah, it, it, it's the grand slam mm-hmm. because you're benefiting the generations to come. Mm-hmm. You're benefiting the, the planet, but you're also benefiting because you're saving energy, which is realizing a savings, which should mean you've had that budgeted. Now... You know, we're assuming everybody's a profitable company and budgeted correctly, managed correctly. Uh, so now all of a sudden I've got a surplus on some budgets. So it can be reallocated. I can reallocate yeah. that to other departments, including manufacturing. Yeah. So that that again is a huge thing. I think that our society and my generation has not taught to our children uh, as effectively is that you know, when you when you have a deficit, doesn't necessarily mean you need to take more money from people. It also can mean you need to spend less. Tighten that, tighten that wallet. You need to be on a budget. <laughs> yeah. Dave Ramsey would be happy with that, with that statement. You need to exercise a budget, and so absence of spending is generation of wealth. And so that that's what we want to talk about. That. So how can we do that? We talked about the energy audits, but what's the number one? Oh, scrap. To reduce yes. scrap. And so scrap is costly because it, you got to handle it. Yeah. It, well, if you have scrap, it's just, it's waste. That's right. <laughs> if you don't think that you have to handle scrap, I want you to go home and uninstall every toilet that you have in the house and see what it looks like at the end of the week. You have to manage your scrap. And so scrap is expensive. You have to manage it. And if you don't, it piles up and you don't want that. I don't know about that metaphor. <laughs> well, you got to get rid of it. Okay. And so, you know, scrap rhymes with a letter. If you take the first letter off, it rhymes with another letter. Okay, so, and so what are a couple of ways people, <laughs> that manufacturers can reduce their scrap? Well, the first thing about reducing your scrap is finding out how much scrap you're you're creating. Uh, and that in itself can be an energy savings because I actually had a customer some years ago that were generating scrap uh, in, in a material. It was a byproduct of their process. Uh, and it wasn't like a toxic material or anything like that. Uh, but it was a, a rubber-based compound, and so it wouldn't break down, oh. at least for a long, long, long time. And you don't want to burn it because oh, rubber is based upon petroleum and that kind of stuff. That's why you get... You don't want to burn a tire or something. You get that black smoke and that kind of stuff. And that is not good for the environment. And so how do you get rid of it? You can't burn it. You don't want to really bury it. No. So the first thing they started to do was decide how much are they creating and where and what processes are they creating scrap. Because before that, it was literally somebody just kind of came by with a, a tow, little, you know, a tow like tow truck, not a tow truck, you know, the little tugs uh, that have a bucket on the back and they were just literally going line to line and just dumping the scrap bins into into this tote and then taking it out to a dumpster and dumping it in there. Oh, my word. And it was headed to the landfill. And so if there are certain levels, you know, of, of scrap that's permissible to mm-hmm. go into, you can't get it all. Yeah. And, and you do have an ROI that has to be considered if it's going to cost you $100,000 to keep from putting a gallon of, you know, <laughs> you got, <laughs> paper in, in the, into the landfill. It's probably not justifiable. But, but if you can take a few steps, especially if you're not creating a, a gallon bucket or, you know, a, a pound of, of paper scrap or, or something like that, if, you're, if you realize that you're generating 
hundreds of thousands of pounds, then now all of a sudden we need to take a look at this, especially if we can get someone to buy it. One man's junk is another another man's man's treasure. treasure. (laughs) And so in their case, when they realized how much, but you have to generate enough junk for it to be another man's treasure. That's right. And so, you know, I remember as a a, a young, a teenager, young man, not even a teenager, probably a preteen, we, uh, that's back in the day when... I grew up in the country, and my buddy and I had our, we had our we had our bicycles, and we we weren't allowed to drive on the main highway, oh, well, uh, but, you, but anything else, yeah, was was allowed, and so we would pedal and pedal and pedal for I don't know it was probably a 30, 45 minute trip each way uphill both ways in the snow. <laughs> no, we were on our bicycles. There were some hills, but uh, but we would have. Uh, we would be going along looking for bottles. That's back when Coca-Cola's came in bottles that you could return for deposit. Oh, okay. And at the time, you could get a quarter for most of them. Oh, wow. And so we would take them, we would pick up all these bottles on this 30-minute jaunt. A lot of people threw their trash at yeah. them. So for us, it was, a good, it was a good endeavor. And we'd take it to the local grocery store, turn them in. They would give us quarters, and we would jump straight over to Super Mario Brothers and Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man <laughs> and Galaga, and we would fire them away, Donkey Kong. That, you know, so 30 minutes to get there and collect everything, 45 minutes. Probably 10 minutes to blow the dough <laughs> and 45 minutes back home. And so that was our day. And uh, But being able to generate, if there weren't enough bottles. You wouldn't do it. You know, <laughs> even even the 10 minutes was enough, right? Or 15 minutes was enough to blow those quarters um, and give them right back to the store. But that was our entertainment. And so if, if it was for one bottle, one game, we wouldn't have done it. That's exactly right. So knowing first what kind of scrap you're yielding is that. So what we ended up working with them on was... Was a way scale system that tied in with their upstairs ERP systems, actually a database system. So we just had somewhere to stick the stuff so they could see the historic data. We added a front end GUI that allowed them to say it's coming from this portion of the plant, that portion of the plant, this area, that area. And the reason they wanted to know that was because they did manage, they pulled their scrap and managed it from different areas of the manufacturing floor, which meant it was a different grade or type of product. Oh, okay. And so now they had grading. They had weights. We, we added poundage to that. And so they could add that all together and feel like, okay, we will we have collected this much of this kind of thing. And now they had data to take out to say to other companies, can you use this? Oh, that's And smart. the other companies said, yes, we'll use it and we'll give you, you know, 10 cents a pound or five cents a pound or something like that. And they had enough poundage that it made sense to build the system that I just described yeah, because it kind of paid for itself. Yeah. There was an ROI there and it's not going to the landfill. So That's now this other company is using it now. It's their treasure and they're using it to repurpose it. They were recycling it. That's fabulous. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, there was another company that came up with a way to, uh, to convert garbage uh, automatically through this automated system. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have the chance to work on this, but a good friend of mine uh, absolutely did a lot. He did a lot of the controls on it and um, was telling me about this thing. And it was actually not for the, for the U.S. It was a place where, you know, landfills were scarce and, and overfilled anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and so it would create this material then that could be recycled and they were making all kinds of products from it. Wow. Uh, so um, they would remold it back in. It was all sanitized, of course. Uh, but uh, 
and they would remove all the metals and that kind of stuff that are already up for recycling. You know, we recycle aluminum and and steel. We've been doing that for for ages. Mm -hmm. And so they would this machine would pull that scrap out, and then everything else it would it would do this process where it would create it into this material that could be compressed. Not a lot of energy going into it, but they were making uh, like park benches and and picnic tables for. Uh, for parks and, and that, rec areas and things of that nature. I love that. That's that. That's innovation yeah. right there. That's that's. Fabulous. It was a fantastic <laughs> machine, and, and I, I even. I mean, that's been you know that's been more than a decade ago, yeah. and uh, I remember every time I get to see him, I, I'll tell me about that machine again. <laughs> you know, all the stuff that he got to do on that. So it was a fantastic thing, and it was a good thing that he uh, is proud of. He's proud to tell me about it, but he's proud of it because of what it did for the planet. Um, so those kind of things, though, it still yields to something now that you can recycle or use. And yeah. so you're helping the planet. But like I said, in my scenario, they were selling it. Yeah. Now, they're not they're not making a huge profit, but they're making something. It, and it's not going in the landfill and, and somebody else is benefiting from and it. And someone else is benefiting. So it's, it falls under what you said at the beginning. You said no brainer. So anyway, sorry, uh, that's reduction of scraps. So knowing what you're generating, knowing how much you're you're generating, and then... Uh, in their case, they were able to kind of grade it because some of it from certain, once it got into a certain portion of the process, wasn't oh, it would, usable. Yeah, yeah. And so that part had to be pulled out. And as a result of them doing that, they could make more money for it. Oh, wow. Because they could just hand it on to the recycler and they're like, yeah, we're not going to give you much for it because we have to go through and figure and, out what you've got. Well, they already could already know if the operator, the person bringing it in, would just say, boom, this is coming from this, you know, this zone or part of the plant. And so by doing that classification, really, which was a, a really small step in their job, uh, because they already knew where it came from. Yeah. It was just it was just information transfer at that point. Okay. As opposed to if they just dumped it all together, they yeah. would have to try to figure out, and that's an expensive oh, that's way of doing it. Yeah. But by doing this one step, it just said, okay, classify that here. And they kept they kept all the different sections separate, separate. until okay. it was time to put them together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that let them uh, – that equated to more value mm -hmm. for the end user. And so they actually got, you know, a few more pennies a pound or something like that. But, but still, it's like a tax credit. It, it is. It is. So how can manufacturers uh, reduce waste? Well, there, again, I, th I think you first have to look at your process. Um, if your process involves machining, uh, machining aluminum, things of that nature, or steel or metal, if you're not collecting the chips and that kind of stuff and doing that in such a way that you can sell those back, and I'm sure that most people listening to this are, already are doing, probably already doing mm -hmm, that. Yeah. But reducing waste, we've talked about different types of waste. So waste in materials as far as going to the landfill is one thing, but waste – going into the air, going just being wasted in terms of energy waste. Mm -hmm. And so in previous podcasts, we talked about anti-air. Yeah, I love that term. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and then we were talking about how you can replace pneumatics with electrics. And so we work with a lot of companies that, that we represent to, to do those kind of we, – we innovate, we turnkey that and pull that all together to help our customers be able to do that, empower them to do that. But you know one thing I didn't talk about? Well, first of all, air – Yes. Is a gas, but we treat it as a fluid. So when we're talking about that type of automation, we refer to it as fluid power. Okay. So air is considered a fluid. 
so is liquid. So a liquid that we would use is hydraulic. Oh, that's messy. Oil. Yeah, yeah. Kind of can be sticky, messy, drippy, oily. How can Uh, that be good for the environment? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm sorry. (laughs) But but why would we use it? So why why even use it? It's messy, icky, and that kind of stuff. So air gets us some, you can get some heavy presses. So a lot of times, say we're doing a pressing operation or or something where we need to to push hard on or something. We can do that with air to a point. But air has something that's called, because it's a gas, called compressibility. which means that um, and now there's also fluctuations in the pressure and the PSI. We've talked about that because of leaks. It's an expensive thing to compress mm-hmm. air, but also that compression, uh, if, if there are leaks in the system, uh, the pressure that you're getting straight out of the compressor compared to the compressor you've got at the, you know, at the line way down at the other side of the plant different. is different mm-hmm. because you have losses along the way. So there's that. But now what I'm talking about is not fluctuations in PSI or, or plant air pressure, but compressibility of air, which means the physics of how we compress air. So if we have a pneumatic cylinder... There's a piston. We're pushing air in one side. That piston's being pushed as the pressure increases on one side and is also allowed to exhaust on the other. It will move forward or move backward based upon which side of the cylinder, which end, we pump the air into. But we get to a point where... Uh, that pressure builds and the cylinder's kind of, if it's pressing against something, it may still have room that it can move as far as applying force. But we get to the point where it begins to kind of compress on itself. And so that's compressibility of air. And so it becomes more like, uh, you know, a little marshmallowy. Okay. Now, we're talking marshmallowy on a high, high level, not like squeezing a marshmallow, but when you're applying, you know, hundreds of pounds of force on something. Oh, okay. So to try to get to the ton level as far as applying tonnage versus pounds, uh, air has a hard time getting there. Oil on the other side, though, does not have that compressibility because it is a fluid, true fluid, uh, and so we use hydraulics for that. That's why you see hydraulics on tractors and excavators and all these heavy, you know, heavy equipment. But you also see that we see them in the manufacturing floor, use them a lot. When we're doing especially heavy pressing. And so there's also presses that can be flywheel based or gravity based, uh, inertial based presses uh, when you get really, really high. And that's where you're like spinning a large, think of spin, spinning, spinning a large flywheel that's really heavy. And we use energy to spin, spin it up and then we clutch it in and out that's not you know that's even higher okay so this is more talking about if we're doing a press especially if we want to do a semi-controlled pressing of of something and so we have these hydraulics maybe we're informing metal maybe we're bending metal maybe we're um uh, just pressing one part into the other that kind of thing so high forces in 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 the form of tons or or kilonewtons if you're on the metric system uh, so how would we do that? That's why we use hydraulics over air. Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out, it tends to leak, drip, and that kind of stuff. So it's the alternative. Well, why, why do we need that alternative? Because it, why not just you can put cat litter down, kitty litter down, absorbent down, whatever to absorb it's this stuff. It's, it's oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a petroleum-based mineral oil is what hydraulic fluid is. And so... You're not going to just, when you have a leak or you've got extra, you unhook a line and all the, the stuff leaks out, 
you can't, you're not just going to take that out back and dump it in the in the yard. I uh, know. Or down the storm drain. You no, know, maybe yeah. back in the seventies, but <laughs> maybe maybe if you're doing that today, you're oh, breaking the no. law. <laughs> they will come and get you, at least in this United States, if they find out the source. And so. Um, you, you know, it, so it, it has to go. It has to get recycled somewhere. So you to, got the transportation costs of yes. taking it to the recycling place, mm-hmm. and then the recycling place has to spend energy to recycle it into whatever it needs to go into. Yeah. So you're just having all these handling costs. Yeah. Uh, just really stood up by the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. Let's see. <laughs> EPA. And so, yeah, it, I mean, it's hydraulic. It's oil. Oil is not necessarily the best for the planet. And so uh, we have to deal with that. So how do we replay? What is the alternative? Well, for us specifically, the partners we work with, Yaskawa Motion and, and Drives, Yaskawa Electric, and also um, Tolematic. So Tolematic makes, we've talked about Tolematic with ball screw and belt-driven actuators specifically to replace air. But to replace hydraulics, they we can do that with a ball screw, not belt. We we wouldn't use a belt. It's 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 too much tonnage for a belt. Okay. Uh, but when we're talking about really high press press type requirements, uh, we can now go to a ball screw. But then we can also graduate up to, to things that are called roller screws and things of that nature. These are specifically designed to be able to to really uh, mechanically emphasize and transfer torque to linear motion. That's what's happening when you when you push in that hydraulic. You've got a hydraulic power unit. That power is a compressor. That power unit's a compressor, basically, that's compressing the hydraulics. And so when it goes into that cylinder, man, it really can push. Well, electrically, we're trans. A motor is basically uh, an energy converter. It, in- it converts electrical energy into mechanical. So in this case, rotation. And so a roller screw is a type of design that allows us to really create and transfer mechanical advantage. So when we create that mechanical energy, we can amplify it and amplify it through gearboxes, but also through roller screws so it won't back drive as easily and things of that nature. And so Tolematic does that. So we can get up into like the 40, 50 kiloton uh, range. Which is a lot of tonnage, uh, um, or sorry, kilonewtons, uh, which I don't know what the conversion is to tonnage, uh, but uh, know that they do, you know, easily uh, the 30 and, and above kilonewtons uh, in force. And so that's a lot of force. So we can use it for that. And now we're in electric. We've gotten rid of the need for all the spillage and all the handling and, and seepage and things that come to the EPA concerns. And when we're not running, there's minimal energy. Yeah. The hydraulic unit is always running. Oh. Just like an air compressor. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So I there's didn't... increased electrical energy being Goodness. used as well. And that's how hydraulics work. Now, somebody challenged me okay. when I said anti-air, ball screws, belt, belt-driven things. And that's what we always used to go to and still commonly go to to replace uh, actuators. But someone said, yeah, so, but sometimes you can't get away from air. And I said, when would that be? Yeah. And they said, well, you know, it's difficult to go as fast and especially at a reasonable force to go as fast as an air cylinder with electric. Because if you do belts, uh, you can go faster. You can't sustain the force. Ball screws, you can you can create force, but you can't go as fast. And ball screws honestly don't like impacts. 
uh, as much. Uh, the ball bearings don't like the jarring. Oh, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> uh, but uh, so how how can you how can you handle that? And I said, well, we used to uh, traditionally uh, have to say you're right, but we have Linmont. Oh. Yay, Linmont. <laughs> and Linmont is a linear motor. And linear motors will give you the speed, the accelerations, the forces, but at a superb level of accuracy compared to the compressibility of air. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little more, but if that's what you need, there is an ROI because you're getting away from air. And by getting away from air, you're realizing you're realizing wealth by reducing spending. Uh, because we don't have that waste of air. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, uh, and then all the other thing is it's a linear motor, and so there's an air gap. We've talked a little bit about that in past podcasts. Uh, you know, uh, Yuskow also has very, very large, they handle large capacity linear motors, so we have their Sigma Track product. Uh, so we rely on both of those based upon the application. So if we're doing really high, high, need to do high torques or high, really high accelerations or high payloads, that's where Yuskawa would come into play with their Sigma Track, which is a larger product. And then for the smaller size type capacity of, of, of actions that we need or processes, that's where Linmont fits in very well. In fact, we can control Linmont with the Yuskawa controller. Oh. So we can do both. So it's really interesting. It gives us a lot of options. But yeah. it, but but the emphasis is that that linear motor technology gives us an opportunity to to not say well we 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 can do it all except for this we can get there on anything electrically pretty much and even hydraulically with the products that we rec- that, that we we represent and and a lot of our listeners machine builders system integrators work with every day so you had another term anti-hydraulics. Yeah, we did anti-air, so now anti-hydraulics. <laughs> and the reason we have to be anti-hydraulics because they're anti-green. How about that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so we've talked about a couple of our, our partners. Uh, let's talk about some other stuff. Yeah, so uh, some of uh, Elotech's other technology partners, uh, DataLogic. Do you call them DataLogic? <laughs> data, data. Yeah, it's according to what part of the globe you're okay. in. Okay, I, I will say DataLogic is de- is developing tools, and this is I think this is cool. They're developing tools and mobile devices with anti microbial microbial. I yeah. should have practiced this before. <laughs> my my apologies, people. <laughs> anti microbial surfaces that uh, repel germs and bacteria. Well, that's that's a that's a needed thing. It is yeah. the, in these days, and yeah. it'd be good for healthcare. But anywhere, I think right now. Well, actually, I was seeing on the news this morning that that you know this Delta variant of COVID is is apparently making a kickback, especially among some of those that they I don't know if I don't now honestly don't know if it's if, whether they're they're vaccinated or not vaccinated or or maybe the vaccine didn't work or whatever. So uh, or if it's marketing media I don't I don't know well, who knows the truth nowadays but the fact is it's still going to be flu season again it's still going to be cold season it's still going to be uh, oh, there's still always going to be something around <laughs> nobody's got a cure for that stomach virus or things of that nature so having being cleaner I think if anything and I've said this before if anything the pandemic sh- uh, told or shined a spotlight on of this United States is guys we need to wash our hands more <laughs> so we need to be cleaner and so this this certainly is not something we're going to complain about <laughs> Uh, but uh, with uh, Fanuc and the Hanwha robots, 
they use less energy. Mm. So it's uh, the, by optimizing the manufacturing processes. And they produce less waste because there's less waste because there's fewer human fewer, errors. Yeah. <laughs> so so that we talked about scrap uh, mm-hmm. and generation of scrap. So knowing how much you're doing, but also then putting into play maybe, uh, of course, again, the emphasis today, by, by today, right now, today's snapshot in time is creation of labor. So it's not so much about there's human errors. There's no human to, to error. The error yep. <laughs> and so we need automation and robots for a different reason. But that's also a benefit on top of that is because uh, when we were talking about the other thing that that, that company that did the, uh, the evaluation of the scrap and how much they were producing, I think the way it was put to me was after they'd done it for a month when they reviewed the numbers was from a management standpoint, they were shocked at the amount of scrap that they were producing oh. because scrap means your raw materials are, are going unused yeah. and you pay for all 100% of your raw materials. Yeah. And so they began to see where are these, what are these scrap sources? So they began to also say, yeah, while it's great that we're able to resell this stuff, that's not our, our marketing plan. That's not our sales strategy. Uh, that's not our growth initiative. We really need to start finding the sources of these scrap generation points and start reducing them. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that comes down to one of the four reasons to automate, which is quality, the quality consistency. Uh, so if, if you can get away from, you know, quality issues, a quality issue means there's a defect on the product, which means that you cannot sell it. Mm-hmm. So now you've created a scrap piece. And so through, through reduction of scrap creation, robots certainly help us to do that. And uh, we talked about Linmont's linear motors, but I think there's more to that, isn't there? Well, I mean, just... just Longevity. Don't they last a long time? They last a long time, So they're yeah. not going to be thrown in the landfill anytime soon. That's true. <laughs> I mean, a ball screw, uh, just like a belt-driven module, the, they and air cylinders, they wear out. Linear motors tend to last a really long time. If you look at the number of cycles, it, it's well into the millions. Uh, and so you're right. I mean, uh, when when an air cylinder dies, there's rebuild kits and things of that nature. Same thing with ball screws and belt-driven. You replace belts. But in most companies today, it's not feasible to repair them. Oh. So where do they go? Yeah. And so if you can get more cycles within the lifetime, which certainly you can do that with a linear motor, uh, and the and the Linmont design lends itself to that, uh, then then yeah, you're reducing rate waste right there. And then Nidec, their products are compact and light. And Nidec, they've developed, and we don't do electric vehicle cars, but they developed an EV traction motor system. E-axle that works as an electric vehicle's heart. Wow. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. So they're talking about Nidec Shimpo, which is the gearbox manufacturer. It's just so Nidec now. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Well, I know him as Shimpo. Well, okay. Uh, Nidec. But Nidec has a couple of different divisions. Yeah. But this specific one is their, is their transmission and gearbox division, which is who we partner with. Um, so, again, there's, uh, there's other divisions of Nidec. Uh, Nidec's a big company. Uh, but them specifically, and we don't, while we don't sell EV, electron, electric vehicles, a lot of our customers make them. Okay. And so uh, we work a lot with uh, a lot of the automotives that are, are creating and building uh, these well, really innovative. this might innovative, be a good option for them. Yeah. The, their uh, electric vehicle heart. That's right. So, <laughs> Sean. Go out there and sell <laughs> sell some on it. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, but but you can see a a common 
as we're going through, and these are partners we partner with, and there's plenty of others. Uh, a lot of manufacturers are moving in this direction. Uh, there's also red line controls. Yes, yes. Their products are designed to improve productivity, reduce waste, and save time and money and resources, and in uh, including reducing power consumption. And they also do energy monitoring. We use them for energy monitoring systems. That's right. We work with a lot of customers to do that. That Then our IOTA comes into play with those as well. And so uh, being able to grab, you know, IOT means more than just is my machine up, uptime, downtime, what's my process, bottlenecks, and stuff like that. Those are important, especially to manufacturing engineers, production engineers. But on the long energy usage is, and we, I think we talked about this in a past podcast, you, when you start figuring out what's on the recipe list to make this part, uh-huh. you need, not used to, I used to say you can, but now not only can you, but you should start looking at how much, how many teaspoons of energy go into your product. You know, we talked on a past podcast about a situation where we did an energy, uh, we were with our IOTA, we were part of an energy monitoring system. And so they monitored some processes. And of course, we didn't, we don't build the devices uh, that monitor that energy. Uh, Red Lion has some devices that can monitor things and that kind of stuff. But uh, there's a lot of uh, transducers and stuff that can come into play to do that. So how much energy am I using in terms of amps, voltage, watts, that that kind of stuff, but also air, flow, water, those kind of things. Oh, yeah. And we start putting all that together, and they realized that they had a part that was was using a heat a heated, there was a, a stage of the process that required some intense heating of the part. And they were making that part during their first shift, which was during the peak electric utility rate yeah. time. And they realized if they just shifted that part manufacturing, because it was a one-shift deal uh, that they made that, they only need to make it on one shift, if they could shift that to the third shift and take whatever they're doing at the same time, third shift, and move that to the first shift, which did not require as much uh, power, that they they saw a huge, in the form of 10 to 15, maybe 20%, I can't remember, but a, a, a substantial uh, savings across the year because they were using the power when it was cheaper, mm-hmm. uh, which was on third shift. And so unless you know that, you can't benefit from yep. it. Yeah, you're absolutely and so, right. So, yeah, Redline's got some, some means of doing that, that that we use a lot of. And then uh, Smart Shift Robotics. Uh, they with their tool changers, they do. They have tool changers and robot bases. Mm-hmm. They can increase the flexibility for um, easy and quick changeovers to reduce downtime. Reduce downtime, uh, and also you know, especially with our collaborative product, with the Honwa collaborative yeah. product, and and the and the and the collaboratives for the others uh, that we represent. The the ability to some processes, especially if they're what we call service parts, which means you only make them as needed. Okay. So for those of us who don't drive the latest year vehicle, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you, yeah. Uh, so if we need parts for our vehicle and it's a few years old, yeah. Uh, when or, or in my case, more than a few years old, to be able to go down and get that on an aftermarket basis, or the, even if it's the OEM part, or get it from the dealer, those are referred to as service parts. They're not in full production. They're built on an as-needed basis okay. at a lower lower deal. So a lot of times with with 
having to keep people on there and move them around is a lot of cross training because the machines are different. So yeah. like that. But most of those, a lot of those systems are menial type task. Uh, so to be able to pay, place a part in and pull the finished part out in this automated process, it really has someone standing in front of a machine. So those are some really easy, low-hanging fruit opportunities to automate, especially with a collaborative system. Yeah. Well, with smart, the, the issue has always been, wouldn't well, the, the request has always been, wouldn't it be great to be able to take this collaborative robot and today, you know, for four hours, we need it running this part on this you know, older piece of equipment. And then we're just going to, just like a person, once you've ran a thousand pieces of that, jump over to this machine and run 500 of this part and then jump over to this machine and finish your shift with, you know, 300 pieces of this part. Well, it's not, doesn't seem that, seems easy enough, like, but it isn't, is it? Well, with a robot, you know, humans can decide, okay, on, on this process, I reach into this bucket here, yeah. but on this process, I have to reach on the shelf or, you know, all this kind of thing. You can program that into a robot, but robots have to be secured in such a way that we have what's called a datum point. And so everything, it always is going to reach to the same place relative to itself. Okay. Well, if, if it's not mounted in the same spot that you know, that it was before, even though you're saying you run this program instead of another program for this machine, those points are off. Oh, and so yeah. now all of a sudden you're, you're, you're just a, you know, you're a quarter inch off of, of dropping the part in. Oh, and that's so wasting. now you got to get <laughs> maintenance down there to reteach the points and all this kind of stuff. Well, this, this is a dovetail. It's a, it's a fairly, you know, a really accurate, but a, it's a fairly innovative product. Uh, that's why we're excited about the smart shift robotics products and glad to be partnered with them. But it gives us a dovetail type, which is fairly precise, or I would say very precise, means of mounting this robot and easy removal Okay. Uh, without voiding warranties because we've had some customers that are having to drill and, and do what's called pinning and to pin the part so that it always moves into the same place. Uh, and then it has to be unbolted and rebolted. This is a unlock and unslide. And so this allows people to be able to use a collaborative robot in multiple places where they would normally move a person around. Oh. And so it's simply... Un, unhook it from the bottom, slide it, slide it off, move it to the new process, slide it back on, lock it back into place, call the new program, and it's up and running because we've established that datum point that's common for each program. Oh, nice. So uh, there's, there's labor. We help with our labor shortage on that, but also there's downtime reduction. There's all kinds of things. And, uh, and all of it's, it's purely mechanical, so you're not having to avoid warranties. That's nice. Now, we mentioned Toolomatic earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't have them on this list. Yeah, we talked about oh, oh on the secondary list. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we we spent quite a lot of time talking about Tolematic with with the roller screw technology yeah, and things of that nature. Yeah. Okay, so we'll uh, go quickly to Yaskawa. We talked a little bit about them, but you know, I want to I want to emphasize some of the things that they do. You had talked about earlier that things being built to last and, and, and the the quality of Yaskawa with their servo motors and their their even their variable frequency drives and products and things of that nature, robots the whole nine yards. The quality is is at the upper upper echelon, so there's no question you can get some longevity yeah. off the product. But they do some things that are that are really cool as well. So one of the things is regeneration, what we call regeneration, and so especially in servo, but even in with VFDs, with a motor, I said earlier, a motor is a conversion of electrical energy to 
mechanical energy. Well, anytime we're putting electricity in and creating mechanical, that's what we're doing. We're burning electricity as our fuel and we're turning it into mechanical power. But when and that's what we're doing when we're when we're accelerating a motor. But when we're decelerating a motor, especially if it's if it's you know a vertical application, so we're having to slow down and go against gravity. Mm-hmm. Now the mechanical, the inertia, and this is this is physics fault, <laughs> Sir Isaac Newton kind of <laughs> stuff, is is now the the inertia of the system is back has a tendency to back drive the motor to try to so we're inputting mechanical energy, which will result in a motor becoming a generator at that point. So now we're generating energy. Wow. So in past systems, what we would do is we would do what's called a shunt circuit. You better. S-H-U-N-T, shunt, (laughs) shunt circuit. And so we would shunt that. Basically, we would, a transistor would kick it over so that that extra current that's being generated would be, would flow through a, just a resistor. And that resistor is just going to ground, which means that the resistor heats up. And so all that extra excess, excess energy is being dissipated as strictly heat, which is 100% wasteful. Yeah. Uh, unless you're cold, <laughs> uh, because it can get quite warm. Uh, and so what Yuskawa has done in both their VFD product and also their servo product is found ways, innovative ways to uh, reclaim that that energy and and regenerate it back onto the line which is exactly what you're doing with a wind generation or solar generation once you transfer it back to AC, that kind of stuff. And so that energy goes back onto the line, which means it's going to be put back into the electrical grid or the electrical system to be used and not just burned up as heat. That's innovative. I'll tell you what. All of the technology partners here are, they are innovative and they are, it's, it's amazing. I love it. I love the direction that they're going. Well, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, but well, certainly something we can be passionate about uniformly is, is we want to be good caretakers of, of this planet. Yes. Um, that's, that's why we were created to be here. And uh, that's what we need to continue to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we can still be good stewards of what we do uh, in our jobs and with our companies and still also ring true to that. There's also benefits uh, as far as absence of spending equals wealth. But then there's also tax credits. And then there's also on an international level, uh, such as your European Union, we were talking about Japan and Asia, how it was kind of built into their their culture. But now we're seeing a lot from the EU uh, that says we are requiring our importers, uh, suppliers to to be doing, showing uh, an initiative to follow these green initiatives. And so it's becoming more of a, a global move uh, as opposed to just something a country's doing or a state or a city or something like that. It's now more of a global initiative. And so these are some of the ways that, that I think manufacturers can benefit both in the near term uh, especially facing some of the things we're really that are right in front of us, mm-hmm. kind of like I said, my grandfather and and, and their generation faced. Uh, so labor shortages and things of that nature. But we can now reclassify those budgets through this absence of spending and reclaim it in the form of automation and and even labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's a and, and take care of the earth at the same time. Absolutely. Hey, this was a great topic today. It was. I liked I liked it. This was fun. Thank you, Brandon. Perfect. <laughs> um so guys, I want to thank you for for listening with us, for sticking with us. It's been a it's been a great season. The season's not over yet. No, not yet. Uh, and I should, think we've got some good stuff late ahead. Uh, we'll have to tease that later. Yeah. yeah. But I I appreciate everybody listening. 
and hanging in with us and uh, the people that have left us reviews. Uh-huh. I, I do appreciate that. That's fabulous. Thank you, guys. So remember, uh, make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're if you're on the Apple Style Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, give us a like, and certainly leave us some comments. We appreciate all that. That helps uh, promote what we're trying to do here. Our mission, of course, is to empower. Uh, we talk a lot about our successes, and we want to share that knowledge, and so that's the goal. Um, so that said, we are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. Yes. Well, go ahead. All those uh, links are in the show notes. <laughs> That's right. And then our website, of course, is www.elitech.com. And if they want to give us a call, 865 409 1555. That's right. That's perfect. So thank you very much, Beth, for your wonderful research. Well, thank you, Brandon, for your unique insights and perspective as always. (laughs) All right. Hey, guys, we want to wish you a fantastic however many days until our next podcast, but I'm going to say two weeks because a lot of our folks download on the day we release, and so it's Tuesday if you're doing that. And uh, thank you again for all your support, and Beth, have a great weekend. You as well, and see you guys later. Mm -hmm.